Philippians chapter 2. I read the verses 5 uh, through 11. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name. The name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The title of the message tonight is The Great Sacrificial Gift. Great Sacrificial Gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for... Your word, and thank you for that we can sing praises unto thy name and, and, and uh, truth concerning your coming to earth. And thank you for this passage of scripture, and I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that we'd uh, be encouraged and challenged and realize what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he gave uh, for us. And Father, I pray you'd help us to give our lives in service to him willingly, out of a heart of love for him. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this is probably a, a one of the most consolidated statements concerning the incarnation of Jesus Christ. One man said this, quote, The passage is oceanic, for the fathoms of, are countless and the tides are measureless. In it we enter the depths, unquote. F.B. Meyer said, quote, It is almost unapproachable in its unexampled majesty, unquote. And so when you think about this passage and what it says concerning the person of Christ, uh, you know, God becoming a man. I want to notice several things about this, first of all, tonight, that, uh, that he abandoned his position. He, he left his position. In verses 6 and 7, it says this, Who, speaking about Jesus Christ, Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God. It wasn't a far stretch for him to say, I am God. That was the truth. So he wasn't stretching the truth when he made that sta- when he'd make that st- those kind of statements. When he'd say, I and my Father one. He wasn't stretching the truth at all. So he was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of man. The word being is a, is a very important word, denotes that which a person is in his very essence, that which a person is by nature, by his nature. In other words, that which is true of a person cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. And that's what it's speaking about here, Christ. When who, being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God. You can't change. He couldn't change that. You can't change it. He is equal with God. That's the idea. Uh, somebody has said that which someone possesses inalienably and unchangeably cannot be removed. You know, it refers to the innate, changeless, inalterable character and nature of a person. For example, 
you know, there's probably 15, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there, men here tonight. Now, we look different. We don't all look the same. Even, even if you're in the same family, you look a little different. You may resemble your father or so on, but you, you still look a little bit different. You know, age has something to do with that too. You know, some of us, our hair color changes. But anyway, we all do, but we're all men. That's our nature. You can't change it. Now, I know our crazy world is trying to, but they're finding out they can't do it. Some have tried and found out that it's a dead end. You can't do it. You can't, you can't change what God made. And so we're all men. We have all the same basic elements of humanness or manliness. We all breathe. We have all have hearts, organs. We have a mind. We have will. We have thoughts. We have emotions and all these things. All these are elements of human beings, of men. You know, we, we can change our clothes. You, you can put on work clothes or you can put on church clothes. You, but you're still a man. You can't change that. And, uh, you know, you can do th- things to change the physical form. You can eat a lot and gain weight. Or you can go in a diet and lose weight. Or you can, you know, uh, d- do those kind of things. But, but you're still a man. Still a man. And that's the meaning of this term here, being in the form of God. No matter what he became in appearance, he's still God. He couldn't change that. He couldn't change that. That's why it says in Hebrew, a body hast thou prepared me. He didn't, be, he didn't, become, a, he didn't, just, he didn't become a human being completely and cease to be God. Though he did become a complete human being, but he never ceased to be God. It was just a body that was prepared for God. That's who he is. He said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Can't change that. In in, uh, verse 31, that same passage, he says, it says, then the Jews took up stones and stoned him, and then he said, Jesus answered them, verse 32, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of these works do you stone me? Then again, verse 37, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. You know, he's saying that the works of the Father are the same works that I do. Because we are one. That cannot be changed. In John 8, 58, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That is the eternally present God. Now think about those three words. Eternally present. No matter where he was, he he was present everywhere. Back in John 3, in verse 13, he told Nicodemus, uh, No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So he was still present in heaven. Because he was God and is God, forever God, and always will be God, he's everywhere, present. He's eternally present. I know our finite minds have a hard time grasping this, doesn't it? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not everywhere present. He is always, somebody said this, 
Quote, he is always in the I am mode, unquote. Always is. You know, Satan thought that this was something that he could grasp and make himself equal with God. He thought it's something he could, that to seize upon or something to reach for or something to achieve. But Jesus didn't have to achieve it. He didn't have to try and seize it or to grasp it. He just is. He just is. There was nothing for him to seek because there's nothing for him to grasp. This is direct opposite of Satan because Jesus was and is God and could never cease being God. However, he did abandon that sovereign position for a while. And notice, I want to notice several things about this. It says there in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Now, there were some things that he gave up. He gave up. In coming to earth, there were some things that he gave up. And that word made himself of no reputation means he poured out or emptied himself. It means to strip oneself of. So for a period of time, Jesus stripped himself of the appearance of sovereign. Now, if you read the Bible and the New Testament carefully, you understand that he still was sovereign because of the things that he did, that he was capable of. He, you know, he could calm the waves. He could make the blind to see, the lame to walk, and, the, and raise the dead, and, and heal the sick. You know, only a sovereign can do that. He could forgive sins. So, so obviously he was still sovereign, but there's some things he stripped himself of, and he gave up, you might say, and that is, well, he gave up his glory. He gave up his glory. He gave up the manifestation of his glory. Uh, in John 17, 5, in his prayer, to the, the high priestly prayer to the Father, he said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So return my glory that I had before. That's what he's praying there. And you know, the di- disciples experienced a glimpse of this glory that he gave up. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> you know, on several occasions, they got little glimpses of this glory that if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, one day we're going to see. Because he's going he's gonna to appear that way. Matthew 17 Verse 1, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. In other words, his appearance would have made you squint. You ever go outside on our, well, you know, they're talking about snow here this weekend. I'm not sure we're going to get any, but... Lots of parts of the country are getting snow. But do you ever go outside on a, on a day that it's snowed and the sun is shining bright and the radiance off of that snow just, it makes you squint. You know, I wore sunglasses quite regularly in the wintertime in Maine. 
because of the brightness, because of the, the reflection of the sun off the snow. And this, this is what this would have been like. Uh, but go also to Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> and this is what they're really getting a glimpse of. Your Revelation chapter 1, and Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 1. Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So this, is, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see here who Jesus really is. You know, lots of people, when they were walking the earth, when, when Jesus was walking the earth, they, they, they saw him as a man. And many of them saw him just as a man. And they wouldn't, would, not, would not accept anything more than that. Although the works that he did proved he was more than a man. But the book of Revelation is going to show to us who Jesus really is, his, his whole person. But in fact, look at, drop down to verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, this is John, of course, writing, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and Ephesus, and the Smyrna, and Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and the Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like unto fine brass as they burned in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. So he had a thundering voice. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So there's the, there's the image you would have got in Matthew 17, that the disciples got, the sun, you know, the, 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 sun, the brightness of the sun. And it says in verse 17, you know, this is John. By the way, John's a very spiritual man. He, he walked three and a half years he, with Jesus was his constant companion for three and a half years, saw him do all these miracles that he did, and you know, has been preaching the gospel since the resurrection, saw him after, after his resurrection, and, and saw him ascend back to heaven. You know, this is the relationship that John has with, with Jesus. And notice his response to this appearance of Jesus. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So, this is the glory. This is the real person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's going to appear at the second coming. That's how he's going to appear. And you know, this is a picture of of a righteous judge. That's kind of the description that's given there. Uh, you, ever, you ever see uh, maybe an old movie, uh, colonial, uh, colonial Era or something like that, and a picture of a judge, he, he is always presented with white hair. Uh, and it's, that's kind of the description that's given here for us. Uh, 
Hebrews 1.3 talks about who being, speaking of Christ, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So, but he made himself. In other words, he, he gave up his glory. In his coming to earth, he gave up or he laid aside for a time. I guess gave up is not really the right term, but he laid aside for a time his glory. The second thing that he laid aside or gave up for a time was his honor. Uh, he made himself, the Bible says, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Look at, look at uh, Isaiah 53. And this is a prophecy, of course, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now, What's a root out of dry ground look like? Does it look healthy? Does it look vibrant? I mean, does it look impressive? No, it wouldn't. Not dry ground. It wouldn't look impressive. And that's the idea. He has no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In other words, if you'd have seen him in his appearance, coming out of Nazareth, and saying, repent you for the kingdom of heaven, you'd have said, who's he? Nothing impressive about him. He don't look like anything special. Why would I follow him? You know, he didn't come for appearance sake. He didn't come to impress people. He came to save sinners. That's why he came. You know, that phrase there, it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. In other words, he wouldn't have really been somebody you looking at him from appearance, you would say, oh, oh wow, I want to associate with him. No, you wouldn't have said that. You'd have probably said, nah, I don't think so. In fact, look at John chapter 7. Even his brothers, brothers, his own brothers, born after him to Mary and Joseph, <clears throat> didn't really think that highly of him. John 7 says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. He would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, Jews' feast of tabernacles was hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. In other words, hey, why don't you go show off? If you can do all this stuff, why don't you go show it to the world? By the way, that wasn't why he did the miracles, just to show off. Notice verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. You see, they didn't, they didn't really want to you know, associate with him. His life was not attractive. You know, think about this. 
You know, somebody said, came, came to him and said, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, would that be an attractive life to a hard-working, hard-working, um, earn-your-way-to-prosperity Jew? No, it would not have been. It wouldn't have been. We know he was hated. He was mocked. He was spit upon. His bleed was plucked. He was defamed. He was dishonored. He was discredited. He was falsely accused. And of course, then he was murdered. No, he really gave up his life. You see... He laid aside his honor as the creator and God of the universe for a time. He gave up his riches. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You know, he became a servant, was made like unto a servant. You know, here's the creator of the world who owns the riches of the world, who created the riches of the world, made himself poor. <clears throat> he made himself of no reputation. Poor. Made himself a servant. Uh, he gave up his favorable relationship to the Father. Uh, again, made himself of no reputation, took upon him a form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And of course, in dying, he became sin for us, and in a moment of time, when he... Uh, when he on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, the, 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 the relationship with the Father was broken for a time. He didn't say, My Father, my Father. He said, My God and my God. And I really believe that was what he feared more than anything. More than dying was he knew he was going to be cut off from his father. You know, Spurgeon has said that you know, many a martyr testified in dying of the grace of God that sustained them and carried them through it. And how they praise God, praising God and dying. But, and, and it speaks of the presence of God with them to the very end. However, Jesus died without the presence of God. Because he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. John Milton wrote, quote, that glorious form, that light insufferable. 
He laid aside, and here with us to be, forsook the courts of everlasting day, and chose with us a darksome house of mortal clay. Unquote. You see, he was God, but he gave up all his privileges. You know, that says volumes about his character. You know, a reporter was interviewing a successful job replacement placement counselor who had put people in positions, and they had succeeded so well. So he had such a high rate of success, the reporter said, what's your secret? How do you evaluate people? How can you really find out what a person is like? And he said this, quote, If you want to know what a person is like, don't give him responsibilities. Give him privileges. You give him responsibilities, and most everyone will fulfill responsibilities if you intimidate them enough or pay them enough. But if you want to find out the real character of a person, give him a privilege. A person with real character and real selflessness and real leadership will use his privilege to help others and to build the organization. A lesser man will use his privileges only to promote himself. Unquote. Jesus used his privileges not to promote himself, but to promote you and I. To promote you and I. So he laid aside his sovereignty. He accepted a servant's place. Again, verse 7. And this word's, you know, the, 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 Bradley was mentioning this in Sunday school the other day, but the word servant in the Bible refers to a willing servant. It is the same word. It's often translated slave, but the Bible, the King James translators use the word servant and not slave. And the reason is, it's a, it's a, it is a slave, but it's a slave by choice. Not a forced. It's not slavery as we think of. No, it's a servant. He made himself, he made himself a new rotation and took upon him, he took upon him the form of a servant. So this was a servant of choice. You know, in Mark 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Uh, he spoke much about this. Look at Matthew chapter 20. You know, his disciples, James and John... And, of course, they had a very, uh, uh, I guess, a, 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 a mother that wanted to see her sons honored, and so she was bold enough to come and, and ask the favor of Jesus. And, of course, the rest of the disciples were angry about that. And, and Jesus addresses them, and in verse 24 of Matthew 20, he says, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Of course, in John thirteen thirteen, Jesus gave us the great example of servanthood. Of serving one another. You know, usually at a, when, when you came into a house, 
in, in Bible times, there was a servant, because you were walking on the dirty streets, dusty streets, so when you come into a house for a meal or something, you would sit down and this servant came around with a basin and a towel and washed your feet. That was a servant's job. And I can imagine all those disciples walking in there. There was probably a basin and a towel there. Already prepared. And they probably thought, you know, the first one probably walked in and he saw it and he thought, well, you know, somebody else will do that. And they all went by it. Somebody else do that. Nobody did it. Jesus did it. And he said, this is what you need to do to one another. This is what you need to do to one another. Not wash each other's feet. Serve each other. I don't want to wash your smelly feet. But, you know, serve each other. That's, that's the, the, the lesson there. Paul referred to him as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, the servant of the Lord. Benjamin Warfield said this, quote, We see him among the thousands of Galilee, anointed of God with the Holy Spirit and power, going about doing good with no pride of birth, though he was a king, no pride of intellect, though omniscience dwelt within him, no pride of power, though all power in heaven and earth was in his hand, no pride of station, though the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily, no pride of superior goodness, but in lowliness of mind, esteeming better than everyone better than himself. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He fed the hungry. And everywhere he, broke, everywhere he broke to men the bread of life, though he himself went without. We see him everywhere, offering to men his life for the salvation of their souls. When at last the forces of evil gathered thick around him, walking alike, without display and without dismay, the path of suffering appointed for him, and giving his life at Calvary, that through his death the world might live. Unquote. That's selfless. That's a servant. So he accepted a servant's place. He also approached or became like a sinful people. Again, verse 7. Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. He became a man. He became like unto us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, 14, he took part of the same. And when it says he took part of the same, he took a human body without human blood. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and a, the embryo makes its own blood. You can read that in medical journals. I've read that here before. But anyway, Acts 20.28 20, says we were purchased with his own blood. That was the blood of God. And of course, in 2 Peter 1, in verses 18 through 23, the Bible there tells us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with a precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained for the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you purify your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See, you love one another pure in heart fervently, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. That was incorruptible blood. It was not the blood of a human being. It was not sinful. 
blood. So he became a man, he became a human being, that he might provide redemption for mankind. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.25 says, Who in his own who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin should live unto righteousness. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he approached a sinful being. In other words, he became, he took part of the same. He took the seed of Abraham through Mary. He was given a body of flesh. Through God, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And so, he approached the sinful people. And then, fourthly, he adopted a selfless posture. Verse 8 says this, And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, The crucifixion was meant to be humiliating. It was a type of death meant to humiliate, to cause as much suffering. You know, there was a a message along with it. It was to cause as much suffering as possible and to humiliate. Humiliate. Of course, they were stripped of their garments. Again, that's humiliation. But, Jesus humbled himself, it says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But think about it, his whole life. Who was he born to? Well, though they were of the lineage of David, they were not people of high class at that time. They were from Nazareth. And you know what was said about Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was what was said about Nazareth. They were poor, simple people. Uh, they weren't of the affluent and wealthy and, and uh, high society people. He was born in a stable. Uh, you know, I mentioned the foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, he, he, he stooped to wash the feet. He allowed himself to be cursed. Of course, the Bible tells us Galatians 3.13, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. So he adopted a selfless posture. This was the son of God. Despite the fact that he is, was, always will be the sovereign God. But you know, there's a principle in the scriptures. And it's this. Verse 8 says, And being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself. Verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name, 
which is above every name. You know, this principle is taught two other places. James 4 tells us to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourself in the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you humble yourself before God and serve him, he will exalt you. He that saveth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life shall save it. And so this is the same man, the same person, the God-man, who left his place of sovereignty, of omniscience, um, of all-knowing and all the glory that he had with the Father. He became a servant to men, servant to his creatures. even to the death. And wherefore, the Bible says, God highly exalted him. And when we see him again, the way we're going to see him is what's pictured for us in Revelation chapter 1. Highly exalted. Revelation 1 and Revelation 5 give good descriptions of him. How we will see him again in Revelation 19. But this is the this is the sacrificial gift. God became a man. Of course, 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh for your sin and for mine. He came to serve you and me that we might be saved from our sins and serve him. Have you humbled yourself as your Savior did? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for our Lord and Savior who gave this great example of servanthood, of sacrifice. And I pray, Father, that you help us to give our lives you, to allow you to lead us and guide us, direct us. And Lord, help us to be prepared for that day when we stand before you and give an account and rejoice with you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.